In November 1960, an 18-year-old young woman walked into a nightclub in New York City. She was there to sing. She didn't know that singers there usually dress up in satin gowns for the occasion. She wore an outfit she had salvaged from a thrift store. But it didn't seem to matter that she looked a little out of place. The buzz that began at that club, the Bonsoir, got the young woman a record deal. Two years later, she returned to that same nightclub, and a record executive introduced her to the crowd. On behalf of Columbia Records, I should like to welcome you here to the live recording session of Barbara Streisand. Streisand. Uh, Streisand. She corrected him. Her last name was Streisand, like sand on the beach. Don't swallow the S. Barbara Streisand's name might have been unfamiliar in 1962. It is definitely not today. She is one of the best-selling artists of all time. She has won multiple Emmys, Grammys, Oscars, and a Tony Award. The recordings that Barbara Streisand made at the Bonsoir were supposed to become her debut album. Instead, they sat in a vault for 60 years. There's a lot in that vault. Now there's one fewer item in it. Streisand and her team dusted off the recordings and remastered them. The album with those remastered songs came out a few weeks ago. It's called Live at the Bonsoir. Not long ago, Streisand's friend listened to the new album and sent her a message. He wrote, I listened to Live at the Bonsoir and wonder what it was like to work on it again, all these years later, spending time in the past, colliding with the present with a lifetime in between. That's what we're talking about today, the collision of past and present in the life of music legend Barbara Streisand. She and I talk about her performance from 60 years ago and what it reveals about the singer she is today. This is Up First Sunday. I'm Rachel Martin. This message comes from NPR sponsor Shopify. Finding sales sluggish? Discover Shopify, the all-in-one commerce platform to start, run, and grow your business. With free 24-7 support and on-demand business courses. Go to shopify.com slash upfirst. When Barbara Streisand performed at the Bonsoir as an 18-year-old, it was not only the first time she had ever sung in a nightclub, it's the first time she'd been in one at all. It was the first time I felt the warmth of a spotlight. Well, it was very intimate and dark. I loved that, you know, where you didn't have to see the audience's faces, which would make me nervous. <laughs> and so it was great, because if you're acting in a theater, you know, then you don't see the audience either. Uh, you can, you know, build that fourth wall. Theater was familiar territory for Streisand. She started taking acting classes when she was 14. In high school, I wrote a book report about Stanislavski. That's what I was interested in, hmm. acting. When I was 16, I used to come up from Brooklyn to the 42nd Street Library and read all the plays that Sarah Bernhardt did and Eleonora Duza great Italian actress. That was my ambition. It wasn't singing, you see what I mean? It is crazy to hear that singing was secondary to you. Oh, totally. I mean, I, I did it to, to pay the rent. You <laughs> know? I really did. Um, I couldn't make a living as an actress. So a friend of hers had an idea. Enter a talent contest at a little bar restaurant across from his apartment, called The Lion. The prize was $50 and dinner was free. Streisand entered, sang two songs and won. And The Lion had a wonderful manager named Burke McHugh, who said, I want to take you to the bigger nightclub called The Bonsoir. <laughs> that was the uptown 
you know, a block away. Unlike the lion, the Bonsoir had an actual stage. It was literally a step up for her in the biggest ways. Streisand used all that theater training and put it into her music. She had a way of making classic songs that so many famous singers had performed before sound new, like Cry Me a River. Cry me a river, cry me a river. I cried a river over you. This rendition, I don't know, you brought things I never felt or heard in that song before. Well, because you heard anger. In other words, it was an exercise I learned in acting class about creating a face of someone that you had certain feelings for. So the exercise at the beginning of the song was creating this person's face in my mind. You drove me, nearly drove me out of my head while you never shed a tear. Remember, so it was very specific. Like now this person comes back in my life and says, you know, I made a mistake. We should never have broken up. Well, you know, screw you. That's what I decided to use. And that turned into my rendition of <sighs> Cry Me a River. So I guess this is just, you're going to tell me this is just your, your acting skill. But I, where does that, the confidence to be that person, where did that come from? Maybe just getting up on a stage, doing some scenes in acting class or acting exercises. I don't know. I also love, you, you say to the audience, you open, you take the stage, mm -hmm. And then you announce to the audience, This is my boyfriend's suit. <laughs> I mean, I didn't have a boyfriend, but it's like that was a funny joke at the moment. It wasn't scripted because I didn't know better, meaning I didn't know you're supposed to dress up in something fancy. Yeah. And I shopped at the thrift shops where you could get a bargain. You know, the first days at the Bonsoir, I wore an antique top made out of steel beads with a high neck, like something I ended up with in Hello, Dolly. Hmm. Can you imagine? I mean, it's like, because I thought it was beautiful. When I started at the Bolsoir, when I got the job, you know, I wore an antique white cotton combing jacket that women in the Victorian era uh, used to, so the hairs would come on that jacket and then they take it off. Yeah. And they don't have hair all over them. It's very fancy. You know, my mother <laughs> came the second night and she said to me, why are you singing in your underwear? <laughs> but it, to me, it wasn't underwear. I had to make me a little white cotton skirt for that top, Yeah, you know, and wore antique shoes. And But was know, that, was, was all that, were the costumes you or was it a way to help you assume a character as soon as you stepped on no, that stage mm -mm, so you could use your acting no it was what i loved wearing until i got reviewed and some people were talking about i i wear these strange clothes 
And I thought, what? They think it's a gimmick or something? Yeah. No, I think these things are beautiful. Treasures. You know what I mean? They're treasures. Barbara Streisand's clothing choices were just one example of how she wasn't going to fit into a box someone else wanted to put her in. Even as a teenager, she had a vision for the life that she wanted, and she wasn't going to let anyone keep her from going after it. I remember the principal of Erasmus Hall High School asked my mother to come to school and say, why isn't she going to college? And I said, Mom, I can't go to college. I want to be an actress. My mother thought I would never make it. She tried to make me uh, cut my nails and learn how to type. And that's when I was, God, quite young, 13, 14. I grew my nails longer, so I never could learn how to type. Is that why you have those long nails? <laughs> what? You have very long nails. You always have. <laughs> I know, but against it's... your mom? Yeah, yeah. She kept saying to me, you'll get a nice job, you know, you work in the school system. My father was a teacher. And, um, you know, you get summers off and you get Christmas off and you get this, you know, it's a great job. So that's, she just never believed that I could. Yeah, she had different dreams for you. She had different dreams because, and I always tried to get her to sing because she has a beautiful voice, my mother. It's kind of a, she had a beautiful voice. Mm. Uh operatic kind of voice. Mm -hmm. And she loved to sing. As a kid, Streisand read movie magazines and fantasized about becoming a movie star. I thought, I'm going to act. You know, I'm going to be somebody. I'm going to fulfill a dream, even though the dream was far-fetched. I was a funny-looking girl, and yet, because I never wanted to change my nose, mm -hmm. cap my teeth. And people told you to do those things. Yeah. Yeah. Sure, they did. And I thought, why would I do that? I mean, uh, probably hurts. And also, it might even change the sound of my voice. You know, my deviated septum makes me who I am. Hmm. Why would I change it? When I first started to record and things like that, they wanted me to change my name to Barbara Sands. No, Joni Sands or something like that. What? You know, in other words, I believed in truth, <laughs> in the power of truth when I was very young. Mm. I didn't understand, why would I change my name? In other words, just, you know, the people will have to work a little harder to pronounce my name or to try to know how to pronounce it. I don't know. But it's, it seemed, learning that even from acting classes, truth works. Mm. In other words, when you see actors overact, that is a lie. Her acting classes taught her something else, something that sounds simple but is actually elusive. What made people interesting? Mm. On stage, this guy who was doing this exercise of just relaxation where you have to test every part of your body, you know, your fingers, mentally you're not doing it out loud. And I thought, wow. Why does he become so interesting, this one person on a stage who's not interesting in life, really, <laughs> but on the stage doing this simple, you know what, it actually comes down to, it's the kind of magic of just having an objective, like relaxing. Yeah. And doing the exercises I learned 
studying acting, mm -hmm. it was like, you know, I could be very still and very concentrated and the audience seemed to be under my spell. Yeah. And I, I mean, was completely. doing just, you know, a simple exercise that that obviously worked. So you're doing this relaxation exercise for yourself. You're channeling your theater skills. You you have all this confidence despite the fact that your mom sort of didn't believe that you could actually do this. How right. does right. that make sense with your lifelong aversion to performing publicly? That's interesting, isn't it? Yeah. Why? Yeah, I don't want to get nervous, you know. I get nervous being judged. I didn't have that when I was young and trying to prove that I could be somebody. Mm. And then all of a sudden it becomes, now you're being judged. You know, if your voice, you get older and your voice is not as pure or this or that. Mm. Maybe I was just proving something to myself that I could be somebody. In truth, I just don't like performing. I had to do it to make something of myself, but I would much rather, you know, be in a recording studio just with my little team. Yeah. You know, you don't have to worry about what gown you're going to wear. You don't have to worry <laughs> about your makeup. You don't have to worry about your hair. Yeah. You just sing. It's me and the music. I want to play another song. Can we play Happy Days Are Here again? Sure. Because I love it. There's no one who can doubt it now. So let's tell the world about it now. I could listen to that song all day. Um, how many times do you think you've sung that song, Barbara? Oh, God, I never counted. <laughs> it was written, you know, a fast song. Happy days are here again. And I thought, because I'm an actress, because I, you know, read the words of a play, read the words of a character, the song, I thought, would be interesting to be ironic do you think that is why this song, your version of it, has such staying power, is the, the juxtaposition between the yeah, light and the dark I do and the think longing? So. I do. Yeah, because again, it was based on my true thoughts about what's happening in the world, and it takes on a different meaning every time I sing it. When I sang it in concert, when I sang it in early nightclubs, you know? It was, I always could relate to it. That comes out, you know, that, that. And if everything was great, maybe I'd sing it fast one day. <laughs> <laughs> Who knows? What is your relationship to performing these days? Or just singing? Does singing bring you joy still? Singing brings me joy when I can well, A, when I sing with my granddaughter, <laughs> you know, she what knows do you all sing the songs. Well, she knows all the songs from Frozen. <laughs> you know, she knows uh, Disney movie songs. And when she was only like two and a half or three, she just turned four. And now there's another little one, 
And I think she's going to start singing too. I mean, she loves singing. Oh my gosh, but she, Barbara, you could crush Let It Go. You could crush Let It Go. <laughs> she's just as... She's insecure too. She doesn't like the limelight. I went, watched her graduation when she was three. Mm. And she's shy back there. A lot of kids are just, you know, up front. That's was, that was me too. Yeah. Kind of shy, you know, and that's the part I understand. I don't understand people who can just, they love to perform and they sing songs about, oh, you know, my life is nothing except when I'm, you know, out here in front of you, performing for you, singing for you. I don't understand that um, kind of thinking. It's mm-hmm. not mine, you know. Barbara Streisand. She has just released a live recording from 1962, what was supposed to be her first album. It is called Live at the Bonsoir. Barbara, thank you so much. Thank you, Rachel. This episode was produced by Raina Cohen and Katie Klein. It was edited by Jenny Schmidt. Leanna Simstrom is our supervising producer. Our executive producer is Irene Noguchi. I'm Rachel Martin. We will be back tomorrow with all the news you need to start your week. Until then, have a great rest of your Sunday. All right. So now that you've heard Barbara Streisand sing, uh, (laughs) this is a little bonus gift. I don't know, a little something, something Mm -hmm. for those who stuck around to the end of this episode on this Christmas day. Let me introduce my friend and co-host of Up First, Steve Inskeep. Hi, Steve. Hi. Great to be here. Um, so, so I think we should sing a little Christmas song. Do you? Yeah. I don't know. I like singing. You like singing. It's Christmas day. Yeah. Like, is anyone really listening? Who knows? It's, let's just do it for us. Right? We'll find out when the pink slip arrives. (laughs) If anybody was listening later on. Okay. Um, so I think we should sing this song. Um, have yourself a Merry Little Christmas and... I love this this. one. Yes, I know this. I know this. Okay, so let's just alternate, and hopefully we're in key together, but whatever. It's Christmas. What's the worst that could happen? Uh, Yeah, nothing. All right, here we go. Oh, God, now I'm nervous. Okay, here we go. Have yourself a merry little Christmas. Let your heart be light. Next year all our troubles will be out of sight. Have yourself a merry little Christmas. Make the yuletide gay. Next year all our troubles will be miles away. Oh, that was good. Thank you. Once again, as in olden days. Happy golden days of yore. Faithful friends who are dear to us. Oh, now I'm going to cry. Will be near to us once more. Someday soon we all will be together. If the fates allow. Until then we'll have to muddle through. Somehow, so have yourself a merry little Christmas now.
Christmas, Steve.